The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your host is Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is Thomas Rosenberg. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Envision. I'm your host, Thomas Rosenberg, and today we'll be discussing prosperity in community as seen in agricultural supplier networks. As I mentioned last week, building a regenerative community is systems work. While it takes time to create a situation where people thrive in community, the work can begin wherever it's most appropriate for the stakeholders. Today we'll be talking about the natural and organic food industry and how it has begun to address social, economic, and environmental issues in national and international supplier networks. So what does community mean in this context? There are many forms of community. The community could be an area that produces a certain crop, or it could be those who purchase that crop to make a finished product. There can also be community built between these two, one that ties both of them together economically, environmentally, and socially. The concept of prosperity in community explores some of of the questions that I posed last week about regenerative communities. What does quality of life mean? What is the intersection of one's labor and purpose? What are the attributes of community? In the first show, I also spoke about the five capitals that regenerative communities invest in, human, social, physical, financial, and natural. Prosperity and community touches on at least three of these capitals, the human, the social, and the natural. Joining me in this conversation today is Lisa Spitka, founder and CEO of Marakusha Solutions an advisory firm that helps clients identify practical sustainability-based solutions that reduce supply chain risk, create supplier loyalty, improve brand reputation, and increase product quality. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you. So when you first started working with the natural organic food industry, what was building prosperity and community looking like? Was it a focus of the, of the industry? Well, actually, when I started working in this industry, it was when organic, uh, had, the organic food world had already existed for a couple of decades as such, but was really getting formalized through the approval of the National Organic Program Standards. So that was at the end of the 1990s and, and into the early 2000s. So that was a pretty exciting time because you were seeing companies emerging who actually were looking into building essentially regenerative supply chains and regenerative global business communities um, through really the auspices of organic uh, food business models. Uh, so that was really when I first came into touch with it and saw that, you know, business really can be a force for good. This is, you know, well before B-Lab existed and, and really has some of the traction that it has today. So that's really what started attracting me to business is seeing all the good work these companies were doing in the organic food industry. It just, just was being legitimized, like I said, by the passing of the National Organic Program Standards here in the mm-hmm. U.S. So what's progressed in the 20 years since you, you, you joined the industry? Right. 
Well, I think that uh, as far as what you can see progressing is that actually taking this different type of reproach to business, a, a regenerative approach, if you'd like to call it that, um, you, you can see the progress in it and that it's become much more of an accepted business model and one that has resonated so much with consumers and really just people around the world that you see large multinational corporations like General Mills and uh, Danone and White Waves is really um, involved in this space now and acquiring companies in that space and trying to figure out how to incorporate that into their business models and you see more and more demand for it. Uh, so I think it's really reached a level of legitimacy um, and proof in the pudding uh, between not just financial results that it's achieved in the marketplace, uh, but some of the pretty clear uh, social and environmental impacts it's had across the decades. So tell me more about those social and environmental impacts. What have you, what, what's, what's happening right now? Right. Well, there's so many all over the place. Um, you know, and it's, it's, I feel like it's almost rare nowadays to, at least in the natural organic product industry, um, especially the organic food industry, to come across a company that doesn't have at least one, you know, very conscious directed project or crop or ingredients that they're working with uh, to try to develop this regenerative type of community or practices. Um, so just speaking from that perspective, um, one of the first companies that I really worked with, um, on a deeper level, it's a great nut butter company called Once Again, and they're in upstate New York, and they actually have been working for decades, uh, with small farmer cooperatives, uh, in Nicaragua, where it used to be small, it's really grown, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, they actually buy products, you know, a variety of products, like, for example, sesame and peanuts that they then go ahead and convert into different nut butters for their customers. Um, but they've been working with these farmers, like I said, for, for decades already, and you see about 200 farmer families or a little bit more benefiting, actually, from this market that they've developed um, by having a close relationship with, once again, and the the real great thing to see over time is that, you know, these farmers, uh, well, first of all, they're organic farmers, uh, and perhaps they were uh, growing initially with some conventional practices that also knew a little bit about organic just by default, just because of traditional methods that have been being followed already, um, you know, from, from prior times. So once again, let them know, you know, we'd really like to buy these products from you organic and let's work together to learn more about, you know, what you need to grow a good crop, what you need for your yields, what you need to, uh, you know, be able to feed you and your family and what's going to be a fair price and what's going to cover your costs. You know, so they've worked really intensely and had really open discussions with them, you know, over time uh, to help them grow and help them learn. And uh, you can see the farmers definitely uh, increasing by percentage points the income that they get by, you know, growing and then selling these crops uh, and selling them to a North American buyer that essentially provides them with uh, a market that they know that they can count on. And that's really key uh, in these regenerative relationships and regenerative global communities is, you know, working through, uh, working through some tough spots and figuring out, hey, can we offer you a market for this? And, and we're going to commit to you with this uh, product and with this purchase so you know that you can count on it. And let's see where it takes us. So in what time frame, you were mentioning over time, so what time frame has once again, been working with these communities in Nicaragua? 
Oh God! For instance, like the seventies. Oh really? Okay, so it's it's been decades. Yes, it's been decades. <laughs> it's been decades, literally decades. Okay, no, that's good. Yes, I was literally. just curious if okay. <laughs> So it's going to, I was thinking maybe it was five years or 10 years, but obviously they've been working very hard for many decades. years to get, <laughs> yes, many decades to make sure that the farmers are, are building their own capacity and building the resilience of the raw materials and the community and so on. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and you actually uh, see them working with a uh, nonprofit in the area, too, to help provide support. And that's a model that uh, is not terribly in common either uh, with some other businesses that are looking to really empower the farmers that they're working with, especially if they're in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, perhaps there maybe are some resources a little less available with regards to education and outreach, um, you know, just, just because of the resources that are available in the country. And so, um, once again, partnered uh, with the Center for Development in Central America that helped them uh, actually organize a little bit more. You know, when you're, when you're raised um, in a society or a country that's the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, uh, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily have a, a lengthy schooling system. Uh, you don't necessarily study for more than a few years. Um, you know, the thought of paperwork and business management and things like that um, are concerns that are surpassed by the demands of you know, demands you need to meet in your daily life to survive. Mm-hmm. And so you, you know, it was really great to see once again partner with this nonprofit who could, whose mission was to um, the Center for Development in Central America. And their mission is to help develop democratically ran uh, businesses and really empower people uh, in Nicaragua. And so in particular, So it was great to watch them support these farmers and learn about what is business? Why does paperwork matter? How do you maintain it? How do you organize? You know, help them develop a cooperative so that, uh, so that the funds would be able to be more evenly distributed between the farmers and a little bit more assurance there of, of equity within the organization as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you see not only environmental benefits of people integrating organic practices that help increase soil quality, reduce pollution of our resources, um, but also, you know, it's kind of almost inextricably linked towards financial and, and hence social improvements. Yeah, that sounds like a wonderful partnership. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that they're hitting all sides of of the triple bottom line on on this, on these efforts, because that's really what matters mm-hmm. here. I understand too that there is a relatively new regenerative ag definition, and you mentioned earlier that there were a bunch of that you can't imagine. Think of any company that doesn't have at least one product or or initiative out there that's focused on being regenerative. So I was curious, is this part of the regenerative, ag, the new definition of regenerative ag, or is this the result of it? Or if you could just share more about what the, the latest definition is and, and what the impact it's having. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Chico State University and the Carbon Underground collaborated to try to define a bit regenerative agriculture uh, because with phrases even like sustainability, which you know I, I'm an advocate of sustainability and I work in that field and, and I talk about what does it mean, you know, but that never came up with much of a definition. So it can be co-opted perhaps in certain ways or um, companies can maybe greenwash a bit since there hasn't been much of a definition around it. Um, so 
like I said, Chico State University and Carbon Underground uh, collaborated together to develop a definition, and they say that regenerative agriculture describes farming and grazing practices that, among other benefits, reverse climate change by rebuilding soil organic matter and restoring degraded soil biodiversity, resulting in both carbon drawdown and improving the water cycle. So that's a definition that's been relatively well received by the organic community, but um, of course there's all sorts of, um, you know, you and I, of course, Thomas, are talking a bit about regenerative communities in general, you know, and um, the agriculture piece just really touches on that one piece, environmental, but that was the intention there with them is to really try to at least start breaking down this one key piece because that agricultural piece and the the environmental piece has such a strong potential to, again, to influence results, positive results in the social um, and financial spaces as well. Absolutely. So I imagine that that there's opportunity for the for the farmers or the or the cooperatives, depending on how it's structured, to take advantage using the drawdown for additional income streams or revenue streams with carbon credit trading. Is that correct? Uh, well, yes, uh, definitely. I would not say that developing a carbon offset market or developing projects. Uh, that represent additional carbon drawdown um, is necessarily the focus of these mm-hmm. projects, although that's okay. definitely, you know, one of the angles that it can take. Um, you know, a couple examples that uh, I thought that I could uh, talk about a little bit is, and it's, um, you know, pretty easy to imagine, uh, the afforestation projects uh, are really mm-hmm. good examples of what you're talking about, of how you do help implement um, regenerative agriculture that helps create a more regenerative community. Um, you know, with the afforestation projects, basically, you know, what you're trying to do there is, you know, halt and put a stop to, as much as possible, um, any number one deforestation, but also just to be planting trees related to the project. Um, and what afforestation projects do is they help improve water and soil retention, while lots of times, to your point, to grow alternative income-generating products. Um, so this can be things like, you know, maybe it's growing hardwoods or fruit trees or, you know, other materials like um, other materials that can be used for construction projects that the farmers can sell when it's on their land. But at the same time, it's actually sequestering carbon, right, both in the root system as well as, um, you know, the wood of the rest of the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, one client that I worked with, a really fabulous organization that probably a lot of your listeners have heard of, uh, is the Arbor Day Foundation. Uh, and Maracuja Solutions worked with them to help develop uh, what you can find actually um, online as their Project 2050. Mm. Uh, so the Arbor okay. Day, yeah, the Arbor Day Foundation um, has a, a great model where they have a, a few different product lines, essentially, that they also sell that helps support, uh, you know, their mission of around the world people planting, celebrating, um, planting and celebrating trees. And so they have a coffee line as a part of that mission. And the Project 2050 uh recognizes coffee professionals who are committed to taking steps towards improving production practices in response to climate change. Um, And part of their concern with climate change is it's estimated by 2050, climate change will cut the amount of land currently suitable for growing coffee in half, actually. 
Um, and so there's obvious implications there just for human health already. Um, and, but then, you know, when that happens, uh, there's risk that will deforest even further, right? Because if some of the land isn't really uh, well-suited anymore towards growing coffee because of climate change, maybe they'll deforest more land to be able to grow mm-hmm. more coffee. Yeah, so it's just a, a horrible cycle. Indeed, and so, well, there's, two, there, yeah. there's additional benefits, too, to having the the afforestation projects because they can also provide windbreaks, which can improve the quality of, of crops, the size and, and yield of, of certain crops. And it also presumably will also help with increasing organic soil material, right? So the, mm-hmm. the soil is going to be richer in general, in addition to hopefully also drawing down carbon. Yeah, and that's a great way to look at why regenerative agriculture isn't something, I know I've been talking about it quite a bit in a global context, but it's also really great on the domestic front as well, because any farmer can implement more regenerative agriculture practices you know, anywhere in the world, including here domestically. It doesn't have to just be about, um, you know, planting more trees or having, you know, an Arbor Day 2050 project that they have, and, you know, they're looking to ensure that the coffee that they're growing is shade grown, essentially. And so, um, you know, that's, that's what they're doing there. And, and as the farmers plant more trees, they can, you know, get fruit to sell or use for, consume for their families or, again, eventually grow, you know, like with eucalyptus or something like that, would that can be, then be sold for products. Um, so that generates extra income for them. Um, but domestically as well, you know, there's all sorts of ways that um, you can implement more regenerative farming practices like no tilling uh, mm-hmm. or minimized tilling, uh, for example. That's a key yeah. part of uh, regenerative ag. Super. Well, we have to take a short break. We'll be right back and we'll continue our conversation with Lisa Spitka, founder and CEO of Maracuja Solutions. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com's social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric EZ Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What is your purpose? In the journey that we call life, our values are pre-programmed into us before we're born. During our lives, we pick up life's lessons and soul connections along the way. We explore this path on Soul Sessions with Solstice, featuring hosts Delana Davis and Rita McRae. Our program is designed to help you more confidently live from your heart and not just your head. 
Tune in live for Soul Sessions with Solstice every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at regenerate.coach. That's regenerate.coach. You can also visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to Envision. Here again is Thomas Rosenberg. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Lisa Spitka and we are talking about regenerative ag and how it's gaining traction. So, Lisa, you were mentioning before that this is something that can, ha- it's, you've largely been talking about in your comments internationally, but it can also be done here, obviously, domestically. And so I was curious, where is it gaining the most, where is regenerative ag gaining the most traction? Right. Well, you know, there's actually a few different angles you can look at it from. Uh, I kind of want to mention the fact that, uh, you know, regenerative agriculture and organic agriculture go hand in hand in many ways, you know, organic has always been about building up your soils uh, because you need to build up your soils and have more vibrant soils in order to really get the yields that you're going to want to get out of your land. And if you're not using, you know, intensely concentrated, persistent synthetic fertilizers to do that, you have to have some dynamism in your crop production system. So practices that are going to be promoted for regenerative agriculture like crop rotations and cover cropping uh, are definitely practices uh, that you're going to see encouraged in organic production as well. Uh, unfortunately, only about 1% of our farmland is actually in organic production, and uh, it's interesting to see that uh, it's actually quite a market need right now to increase the amount of organic products that we have in our country because we're, we're importing actually amazing amounts of organic grains uh, from other countries outside the United States. Uh, so there's actually an opportunity to really um, probably increase our acreage for organic by at least 350,000 acres here in the United States. And that's and, just looking at soybean and corn production, actually. Interesting. Um, so, because that's typically, a, a, those are typically crops that are mostly genetically modified. Correct. Yes, corn, soy, and uh, canola and cotton are very commonly, extremely commonly genetically modified here in the United States. So, so, um, so yeah, so what's interesting is that, um, you know, if somebody is looking for a new business opportunity and is thinking about organic, regenerative ag is actually a really nice path to help them transition towards those kinds of practices. And, um you know, I don't necessarily need to focus on organic the entire time, although that's my background, um, because there is actually a really nice uh, common ground, I think, and bridge uh, that regenerative agriculture creates between organic and conventional, because these are just smart farming practices that are going to help the farmers get better yields and ideally reduce a little bit the cost of their inputs, um, you know, just by implementing it. So it's some, there, there's something in it for everyone. Mm-hmm. And obviously with droughts and, and irregular weather happening more frequently, having better water retention in the soil can also help because you may indeed need the water less. So. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when you're looking at, um, 
you know, there's there's this one ranch that cited a lot for really trying to work hard at developing and, and implementing more regenerative agriculture practices. Um, they have a 5,000-acre diversified livestock, grain, and vegetable farm in North Dakota. Um, mm-hmm. And the owner, uh, Gabe Brown and his son Paul, they really look at soil health as a priority for them. They, For example, they don't till. Um, and they are generally, they do generally, I would say, use organic practices, no synthetic fertilizers, no GMOs. Um, and they grow as many as 19 different cover crops in a year. But in 20 years, they've added a foot of topsoil to their land. Wow. So, you know, That's yeah, cool. by looking at, like, what regenerative ag can mean for you and how to incorporate it, you can actually see some pretty quick turnaround on the results. Mm-hmm. That's pretty impressive. So, how are, I want to move to... Some of the, the, the social response, obviously, you were talking about the farmer cooperatives in, in Nicaragua with, once again, and, and elsewhere. But I was curious, how are communities, and maybe you want to split your answer into domestic and international, but how are communities responding to the concept of regenerative ag, broadly speaking? Uh, well, I think in the business community, you mean? Well, just in general. So, you know, the communities where they're doing regenerative agriculture or it's being proposed, how Mm -hmm. are people responding to it? So how are the farmer communities responding Mm -hmm. to it? And perhaps you want to touch on the uh, the business as well. That's fine. Right. We'll get there. (laughs) Well, I think with regards to the communities and how they respond to it, I think I think overall I would say it's a positive. You know, like any initiative, it can be a bit of a mixed bag. It really depends on how you approach it. And that's why, for example, at Maracuja Solutions and a lot of other really great companies that I know of as well, um, we work hard to really get stakeholders in the supply chain on board with the project and let them know what our intentions are or what our clients' intentions are, uh, you know, what are the goals. And let them know that we really want to get their feedback in the process. We really want to get their buy-in. You know, it's not a project that we were trying to just, like, make somebody do. Um, and, you know, from the, in the instance, instance that there's a buyer for a, a product that's going to be grown under regenerative agriculture practices or um, uh, results from a program that actually maybe possibly has more of a strictly social regenerative, let's say, angle, um, mm-hmm. You know, the buyers want to know that those people also believe in the product and so, so there's, or the program. So there's a lot of education that goes around that and a lot of conversations, you know, so that by the end of the, the sort of uh, alignment phase, uh, people are actually on both sides of the equation. You know, if it's done, if it's done I think, you know, in, in a smart way, people on both sides of the equation are really excited about the opportunities that it's going to provide them, you know, financially for the bottom line, increased input, uh, increased income usually for the farming community because they can charge a premium if it involves a certification or because, you know, the company is going to promise them that they'll buy more volume because they like what the product now stands for that they're buying. So they're going to become a preferred supplier. Um, you know, and then again, that translates into obvious social benefits and improved quality of life benefits for the communities. And then for the buyer, it results in brand equity and consumer loyalty. So who are the biggest advocates for regenerative ag right now? Where do you see the strongest advocacy? (laughs) There's, there's quite a few organizations, but a few that come to the top of mind for me are, um, the first thing I would actually like to uh, put a plug in for is actually Paul Hawken and his book Drawdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you heard of that? I have. 
Yeah, I bet so. Um, it's such a good book and such a good amount of research. And as you know, he's just had like dozens of some of the smartest, most intelligent fellows across the world working on this project with him. And um, I, I, so I want to draw attention to that because the word drawdown basically um, is describing the point that we need to arrive at as a society to begin to neutralize and then uh, reverse the impact of climate change. Uh, so basically, it's, um, you know, when are we going to get to the point where we're actually sequestering more carbon than we're putting out into the environment? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really what, what this book is about. And they actually list about, uh, well, the hundred top solutions uh, of what can be implemented uh, to help reverse climate change and help get to this drawdown point. So that's the first thing I'd just like to mention because so many of the things that are in this book, so many of these solutions are related to agriculture, to the food industry, but well beyond. And so it's much less, even though I think regenerative ag specifically has a huge scope, um, you know, the scope of drawdown is even bigger and can just apply to across all sorts of industries. So I think that's a great thing to read and learn more about. And Paul Hawken is just a great, great man and um, really believes in what he's doing and uh, has got the right people around him. Super. So, uh, so he's one of the biggest advocates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another organization, uh, Carbon Underground, uh, as somebody mm-hmm. that I believe I mentioned before because they, in conjunction with Chico State, helped uh, author that definition of regenerative agriculture. So Carbon Underground, definitely someone that you're going to want to get to know more about. Um, and somebody who also has a strong voice around regenerative agriculture is, uh, well, there is Regeneration International. So it's regenerationinternational.org. Um, and uh, definitely the Rodale Institute, who ultimately has been, um, since its inception, and um, way, way before now, decades ago, also has been a champion for regenerative agriculture as well. Yeah, they've been around since the 1960s. So. I believe so, right around there. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah they, they, yes, the Rodale Institute in, in, in Pennsylvania. So, yes. yes. And uh, Regeneration International, I might mention, for example, um, just a few days ago or a couple weeks ago, um, published some of the, the finalists for their, uh, uh, like, a regeneration uh, project competition that they had. That they had. Um, it, it was a micro-grants competition, Five Innovations for Regeneration is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do see, like, a focus on agriculture there, but you also see a little bit um, geared towards, uh, for example, helping develop uh, social businesses that help, you know, that help create regenerative communities. Um, so, for example, this one social business model is going to collect and transport waste from locally made ecological toilets to a composting facility where it will be treated and transformed into organic compost, and that's in Haiti. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's a great way also to get the more phosphorus back into the food chain without mining. So, yes, got to have the MPK. Well, yes, but it's just, it's, it's, there's, I read someplace that there is more, on average, more phosphorus available in percentage in your average wastewater treatment plant than there is in a mine for phosphorus. So, oh my. Yes. So I had not heard that yet. Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be huge, right? If we don't have the phosphorus, then that's going to significantly mm-hmm. impact the the quality of 
of production of all sorts of crops. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a couple other businesses I could talk about um, that have been doing great things uh, in these areas as well. Um, there's three I was thinking about mentioning. One was the Yerba Mate Company in Guayaquil. Mm-hmm. And uh, their whole business model has been uh, focused around uh, uh, really uh, having market-driven restoration. So with their Yerba Mate product, um, they steward, their mission is to steward and restore 200,000 acres of South American Atlantic rainforest and create over 1,000 living wage jobs by 2020. Wow. Yeah, and I think that they have pretty much hit that goal, and I know that they just recently did a comprehensive analysis of their carbon footprint and actually did find that uh, by the amount of trees that are retained uh, in growing their product or the ones that have been planted to help create additional um, shade mate uh, acreage, they are actually uh, carbon negative at this point. So they're actually sequestering more through their business model than they put out there, you know, in spite of, uh, you know, production facility involvement and distribution and all that. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge accomplishment for Guayaquil. That is pretty huge. So what are the biggest hurdles for acceptance of regenerative ag that you've seen thus far? Well, as with any sort of change, you know, change can be scary. It can feel difficult. It can feel overwhelming. Um, so I think that, um, you know, when you're talking with farmers who have had a certain way of producing for a long time, that's always going to be, uh, you know, one of the most critical points. And uh, there can be some challenges there. And that's, that's the need, as I was mentioning earlier, to really take a um, – intentional approach towards working with the uh, agricultural supply chain partners uh, to, to, you know, really, really get their buy-in and see if you can move forward with them. Um, you know, the, the hang-ups around transitioning to a different agricultural production system are absolutely warranted. You know, it's tricky um, when you have one set of practices in place to move to another. It kind of throws things off balance. And, you know, it's kind of like even just our bodies, right? They're this organism that if you're doing a certain thing one way, if you make a, a shift in another direction, it can kind of throw things off. And, you know, maybe your immune system gets worn down a little bit, you know, and you can get sick and the soil and, and the environment around it is the same. You know, there can be new disease pressures and, you know, if you've been using an antibiotic your whole life and suddenly don't use the antibiotic, you're, you know, your body can find itself a little bit kind of almost, you know, stripped of this defense it had. And, you know, if you're going from a more conventional, more synthetic input um, farming system to one that uses less, it, it throws things out of balance. And there are some disease pressures and, and uh, pest pressures that you can get. Um, so that's where some of the resistance, and it, it's frankly just a little bit more complicated, just a little bit more um, uh, difficult to, to get to that balance initially when you do switch to a less chemical-intensive farming. But you really do have to move away from less chemical-intensive farming to build up those soils and have re, you know regenerated soils. Like you really do need that. So that, but I guess it, it sounds like that would be pretty much the same process that anybody who is transitioning from conventional to organic, whether they were going all the way to regenerative, to to really focus on, those are the same pressures that they would be feeling and, and it would take that long, right? We know that it generally takes at least three years for that, that process to happen. 
Yeah, it's hard to say just depending on the unique situation of every farm how long the process will take till they find a point of healthy equilibrium. But three years yes. is certainly the required time of transition to go from conventional to organic and be certified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, I, so, you know, I've seen entire, uh, you know, thousand hectare larger farms have, um, you know, have like fungal problems and, and things that are really impacting crop harvest. But then once uh, once they stopped using all the conventional inputs, it allowed some of the biodiversity to come back, including ants. And ants were like the, the problem to solving some of the fungal problems in the soil because that was like a food source for them. <laughs> ah. So it's, it's pretty fun to see how this stuff balances out over time. Yes, well, that's awesome. Ants are, are pretty important. Yes. Super. <laughs> we have to take another short break. We are speaking with Lisa Spitka, founder and CEO of Marakusha Solutions, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Do you long to have a better love life? Relationships can be hard, but throw sexual problems into the mix, and it's almost impossible to keep that close connection you want to have. Colette Milan, sex and relationship therapist, has been there. She will give you sound advice to turn your libido back on and bring the love back into your lovemaking. Tune in to Making Love with Colette Milan every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at Regenerate.coach. That's Regenerate.coach. You can also visit our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to Envision. Here again is Thomas Rosenberg. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Lisa Spitka, founder and CEO of Marcusha Solutions. And we were talking about how communities are responding to regenerative agriculture. So Lisa, I was wondering what is needed to make people more aware of the benefits of regenerative ag and to invest in prosperity and community? 
Well, I think that always having, frankly, a consumer education campaign is a key piece. And we found in the organic community that that was something that, especially before the organic standards came into play, it was difficult to do because you didn't necessarily know what it stood for, for sure. So the standards really helped create a rally cry, you know, around what organic is and help the consumer understand more about it. And then they could ultimately vote with their dollar and, and show which parts of it they support. So I think that a key piece is going to be getting this concept of regenerative agriculture out there to the, to the consumers. Um, because, again, uh, you know, with farmers, there can be some, some hang-ups and, and thinking, oh, wow, I've really got to switch my agricultural production system. But, you know, with companies that are in between, like with the buyers that are in between really the farmers and the consumers, they can see that, number one, this is what we're going to need to reduce risk in our supply chain and businesses. So I would say that middle step there, like the manufacturers and the uh, other consumer packaged goods or the food products, you know, they're really at a critical spot and perspective where they understand the importance of regenerative ag. Um, mm-hmm. So I think them working in conjunction with farmers and nonprofits to really get the word out to the consumer and make sure that uh, the consumers really understand what it means and start demanding it is a key piece of where we need to go. So what I'm hearing is that you're really the best place to focus in in the process is with the companies or the buyers because they recognize how that how that works for the consumers and also how that supports mm-hmm. their supply chain and and their network of of farmers on the ground. Yeah. I really, I see the buyers and the manufacturers as really being sort of the, the, the linchpin right now to making it happen because, yes, they see um, the importance of reducing business risk um, and uh, creating more resilient business models through the use of uh, regenerative agriculture. Um, but, again, I, I feel like they see that. But the consumer doesn't necessarily know about it yet. You know, the consumer is mm-hmm. still working in the zone of sustainability and organic, and I believe in those absolutely. But, um, you know, they'll need to know a little bit more about it, um, about regenerative ag, to really show, again, be voting with their dollars so that the leaders I see uh, in the natural organic food industry that are moving a regenerative agriculture forward, you know, that way they'll get the, the um, recognition that, that, you know, the program deserves and that the movement deserves, and then that's going to continue to influence larger companies just like Organic has. Mm -hmm. So if I'm interested in bringing regenerative ag to my organization or my community, where should I begin? Well, I think that is a bit of a tricky question because I feel like it's a kind of a a cutting-edge topic right now. Um, If you're talking about just bringing it to local communities, I think that... uh, Retailers have a lot of impact there. They, a lot of retailers that I know, and definitely uh, especially cooperative food retailers, have strong programs to help grow their supply of local goods. Mm-hmm. So I actually think that's a great way to start getting the word out, uh, both to consumers and to the farmers, um, the small-scale farmers, who really want to start digging into that and understanding how what they do correlates with regenerative ag and where they can make improvements. Um, so I think that that would be a great start, frankly, just the local food system um, and working with the retailers to get the word out. So the local food co-op or, or natural food store? Okay. Yeah, or- they, I, I have seen them influence uh, the growth of thousands of acres of even uh, organic 
production mm-hmm. across the Northwest here where I'm at. So those are always really inspiring stories that I think could be applied uh, also or the lessons applied to regenerative ag as well. Um, and then, you know, you start seeing a, you start seeing this, a groundswell again. Once consumers start hearing and seeing a little bit about it, I think that's when, you know, communities uh, start kind of perking up their ears about it and trying to understand how they can leverage existing resources um, to start incorporating these types of practices and, and have them teach communities about it. So, you know, I can see it after that point kind of filtering out into, um, you know, community programs and uh, educational programs funded by nonprofits that already work in that space of, like, you know, community gardens and organic production education. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so if I'm in an organization that perhaps I'm a manufacturer that I don't believe is being as responsive to business risk in this way as they should be, how can I raise this flag, so to speak, within my organization? What would your recommendations be? So if you are someone in an organization who wants to advocate for uh, incorporating more regenerative ag into your products, um, you know, I think one of the first things you need to do is you need to look at the data. There's a lot of data out there that talks about the importance of, um, you know, having healthy soils, for example, um, and some of the business benefits that are out there about it. So um, I would probably do that research first and have some numbers in hand. Um, I would also probably, frankly, share them figures from the organic industry and how quickly that industry is growing. You know, it's the, the, the pace of growth in the organic food industry far outpaces the conventional food growth. So, um, and, and, and the industry, I think, grew to close to, I can't remember if it's 40 or 50 billion um, last year. I think it's almost 40 billion just food alone and almost 50 billion with sort of the entire organic industry put together, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a great place to go for that statistic is the Organic Trade Association. They have great mm-hmm. information on that on their website. Um, is, is that in terms so, of, as you were talking yeah. about the data around that you were seeking? Because that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, what are the, what, what are the good resources for, for people to, to look at? for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and like I said, for organic, I went to the OTA's website just now, organic trade associations website, and it's on their landing page. It is it's, um, American in America alone. They spend nearly $50 billion on organic products. And I think about 80% of that is food and a good chunk of that is produce actually. Um, so they have some really great consumer trends and information there on that site. Um, you know, if you're frankly, if you just look at, some of the industry purchases right now and see companies, again, like General Mills or Danone or Coca-Cola and who they've been acquiring over the last decade, you'll see that it's increasingly these natural and organic companies. So there's definitely a clear market opportunity there um, for companies. Uh, And then you can go to, um, you know, there's some great research organizations out there just to learn more, again, about what regenerative agriculture means and um, how it translates into uh, soil benefits and environmental benefits, um, like the Rodale Institute. Um, they do fabulous research, and uh, also the Organic Center is another one that you can find out lots of great information. Excellent. Okay, super. Is there a network? I mean, you mentioned OTA, but I'm wondering, is there another network of like-minded folks that somebody might be interested in joining, you know, either at the community level or for mm-hmm. an organization, for a company? Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a couple other organizations that I work with that uh, have amazing membership and amazing mission. Uh, the first one I'd like to mention is the Sustainable Food Trade Association. Uh, their, their mission is to help the organic industry transition to truly sustainable business models. So they look definitely at agricultural practices, and they look at practices in all sorts of other areas as well. Uh, they have, in essence, defined sustainability, in my opinion, remarkably well uh, for the organic food industry, but, but for the most part, just in general, for many industries, the factors they look at around sustainability are applicable. Uh, and another group uh, that I'd like to mention, which is actually a project uh, of the Sustainable Food Trade Association, along with its partner, OSC2, um, it's called the Climate Collaborative. So, um, climatecollaborative.com, you can go to to mm-hmm. find out more about that. This is more of a, a company resource, um, as is the Sustainable Food Trade Association, that's, uh, and that's at sustainablefoodtrade.org. Um, but the Climate Collaborative is looking at, you know, how can businesses take meaningful steps and action towards mitigating and reversing climate change. And agricultural practices and afforestation practices are two of the top nine categories that uh, we promote there. So I think those are great resources for business. And um, like I said, Organic Center Rodale is just great information for anybody who wants to learn more about uh, regenerative and agricultural practices and organic practices in general. Fantastic. That's a great list of resources. Okay. Well, those will be on the on the Facebook page after the show airs and we can answer any questions that way. So tell us more about what you're doing with Maracusha Solutions and uh, how does your organization support regenerative ag and prosperity and community? Right. Well, at Maracusha Solutions, uh, I say what we do is our passion and your profit. Uh, do work primarily with uh, with companies uh, and non with for profit and non profits uh, to I like to say maximize uh, their social and environmental impacts. Uh, a lot of times, p- different service based organizations try to talk about well, what's the risk that you're avoiding, or what's the problem that I'm helping you with, and um, I respect that approach. But I, I you know, here at Maracuja, we more like to think about well, how do you maximize what you're doing? You know, looking at it more from from that positivity angle. Maracuja means passion fruit in Spanish and Portuguese, and we do a lot of work in Latin America. So, hence our passion, your profits, our, our logo, our motto. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the way that we help companies maximize social and environmental impacts really takes place in three different major ways. Uh, the first of which is sustainability programs and communication. And uh, so, you know, help companies identify uh, sustainability strategies or initiatives that are going to be most important, most prioritized for their organizations. And we also help them, you know, figure out how to talk about that and and how do they want to communicate that, um, you know, both on their website and uh, maybe in in blogs or just different communication materials. Really help boil down that message. Uh, the next way that we help companies is through engagement and education. Uh, so we have a lot of experience putting together conferences or specific tracks at conferences around sustainability or supply chain engagement. Uh, and we also work with companies if they want to have, you know, either a consumer or employee or supply chain education campaign, uh, you know, and, and develop trainings for them and, um, you know, just help meet whatever need they might have around sustainable business management um, in the context of their company. 
And then the last area I mentioned, responsible production and sourcing. Uh, I feel like this is uh, really where a lot of our specialty all comes together. Uh, we especially work with supply chain integrity uh, and helping companies, uh, you know, work to uh, improve the, the social and environmental and generally hence financial performance of their supply chains so that they are able to both reduce risk um, within their supply chain and also, you know, help lift up uh, everybody else in the supply chain that they work with. And, you know, we can also incorporate things like food safety, organic certification, fair trade certification, and more into those processes. Wow, that sounds very comprehensive. So in terms of pulling all of this together, as you were mentioning in that, in that your specialty with the what was the term you used, the, the supply chain integrity component and just mm-hmm. understanding all of that. Does it always come from a from a large organization to smaller suppliers or do you actually get people reaching out to you from, say, farmers cooperatives in Latin America? You know, usually the people who are reaching out uh, more often uh, is the manufacturer or maybe a distributor or wholesaler of a product uh, mm-hmm. that is, you know, in essence, a buyer um, who has a strong feeling about what they want their product to stand for, and they want to ensure that the product that they're buying um, stands for that. And so I'll work closely with them to identify, you know, well, what's the what's the priority that you have? What's your mission? What are your strategies? You know, where do you think your key risks are uh, or gaps, and be able and being able to meet those strategic goals or to, you know, be in line with your mission. And we take a look at all that uh, and generally uh, develop a set of kind of a framework or a set of standards um, that we really uh, believe represents what that buyer wants their product to represent and what their consumer wants. Uh, And then go and talk with the supply chain partners and see, hey, can we work on this together? Here's what we're thinking. Here's how it's going to benefit you. Here's what we think it'll take to get there. You know, what do you think? Let's talk. Yeah. Okay. That sounds that sounds good. And do you help with the certification process? If somebody's seeking to transition and go organic, is do you help with that or you yeah. just point them to somebody else? Yeah, no, absolutely. We can help with that. Um, you know, we have a lot of years of experience in the organic food industry, including the actual certification process. So Um, there's a lot of steps there and paperwork and practices you need to have, whether it's agricultural or processing. So all that can get incorporated uh, into the process uh, of of developing a supply chain integrity program, or it can just be a standalone project as well, if you'd like a little help with that. Excellent. So how can people contact you? Well, uh, you could go to our website, Maracuja Solutions. That's M-A-R-A-C-U-J-A solutions.com. Uh, and learn a little bit more there. Uh, you could also get a hold of me personally, Lisa at MaracujaSolutions.com, uh, or you could give us a ring at 707-407-5375. We're also on, of course, LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been a pleasure having you here today. Thank you, Thomas. It's been great. Awesome. On our next show, we'll be talking about fostering social entrepreneurship and community. My VoiceAmerica.com host page is where you'll find announcements for next week's show, a recording of today's show, other shows, and my social media links. Thanks for joining and see you next week. 
thank you for tuning in this week to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.